many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all, and uh, I should say happy Halloween. Uh, welcome to our weekly talk show, Taking Care of Business. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed our broadcast last week from uh, the Lowe's Hotel in Santa Monica. I definitely enjoyed the weather, especially today. We're broadcasting back from Calgary, my hometown, where the temperature now is minus 2 Celsius or 28 Fahrenheit for our U.S. listeners. So quite a difference. It was 35 degrees last week. My guest today is John Festival, President and CEO of Black Pearl Resources, Inc., a publicly traded oil exploration and production company based here in Calgary, the Canadian hub for the oil and gas industry. Good morning, John. Good morning, David. Uh, Thank you for being uh, my guest this chilly morning. Uh, John, it was very hard to find some information about you, so we can share with our listener with, with our listeners, I couldn't find anything on Facebook. I can find you on LinkedIn. Uh, I guess social media is not exactly your forte. That's correct. Yes, <laughs> I keep a low profile. I see. Uh, so, from the very short bio that uh, Cassandra was able to find on your website, we were able to get some of the information, and I'll share with our listeners. You graduated from University of Saskatoon, correct, with a degree in chemical engineering. Uh, at Koch in uh, Exploration, you uh, probably pronounce it Koch. Koch, yes. <laughs> just like the Koch. Just like well, the Koch. It's, it's a German name, so it's Koch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at, Koch at Koch Exploration, you progressed uh, through the ranks to uh, the position of Senior Vice President. Later, you were among the founders of Black Rock Ventures, which seven years later, you guys sold for a, a small amount of $2.5 billion. Uh, and following you, founded Black Core Resources in 2009. You continue and you did a reserve, uh, reverse takeover of, of Pearl Exploration, which is now uh, Black Pearl Resources Inc. Uh, you also serve on a few oil and gas companies' boards, uh, such as uh, Toscana Energy Income Corp, a publicly traded oil and gas company, uh, Broadview Energy Ltd, a private oil and gas company. And uh, Compass Compression, which is a manufacturer of gas compression-related equipment for the oil and gas industry. Uh, so a busy guy, yes. I would say. Okay. <laughs> so, John, before we kind of go into the business, our listeners always like to know who the person is. And, uh, you know, everybody talks about business, 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 but we, we like to kind of go a little bit uh, deeper in the past in your history, where you come from, and, and we'll ask you a little bit about your personal uh, kind of uh, experiences uh, till you, we go into the business world uh, questions. So the first question, of course, because we couldn't find it anywhere, where were you born? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yes, uh, I grew up in Sault Ste. Marie, which is a town in northern Ontario, which is really full of a lot of Italian immigrants. And so the rest of my family was born in northern Italy, my brothers and sisters. And we came over to Canada, like many immigrants, in the 50s. And I was born in Sault Ste. Marie. I was born in Canada. And as I was growing up, I really enjoyed sports. And so my favorite sport was basketball. And that's what took me out west. That's how I ended up at the University of Saskatchewan. I played basketball in high school, and I was recruited to play at the U of S. And so I really enjoyed basketball. That was my passion. And I also wanted to get a good education. I realized 
that was going to take me, you know, uh, the rest of the way for the rest of my life. And so I went to University of Saskatchewan, played basketball, took engineering, and that's how I ended up out west. And that had to be one of the uh, best moves for me because I found that Western Canada was a place of open opportunities. It just, uh, you could do anything you wanted in, uh, in, in the oil patch and in Western Canada. So now I have to completely change some of my questions. Now that I know that you're basketball and Italian, it's a completely different interview because we're going to talk to, I was involved in professional basketball. Yes. So what position did you play? I was a shooting guard. Okay, and uh, what's your average from a three-pointer? Uh, when What's I played, it's so long ago. <laughs> it's so long ago. We didn't have the three-point line. Yeah, it was line. two. It was yes. two points. <laughs> and uh, from the three-point line, uh, unguarded, I would be fifty percent with somebody guarding me, probably thirty-five to forty percent. That's a good percentage for people who don't understand basketball. <laughs> and I see. And um, did did you ever become the captain of the team? I was never a captain of the team. I was really, uh, from my from my talent level, I was a journeyman player. I was one of those players that had a role in the team, and I, I did my did my job. I was never talented enough to be a uh, a top player. So hard work. Yes, hard work, and uh, and knowing my role. I see. Wow, I'm sure that uh, we can uh, later discuss the what you bring from your athlete years as a basketball into the business, especially when you say basketball, which is a team sport. Correct. Yes. Uh, now Italian. So. Are we talking about wine, pasta? Do you do? Do you do you have a backyard, a greenhouse? No, I don't think I brought any of the uh, uh, any of the cultural, you know, heritage uh, to Canada or to Western Canada, or I am. Although I do enjoy Italian food, I enjoy <laughs> Italian wine, but I don't make my own wine or grapes or any of that. Where where in Italy is the family from? The northern part of Italy, northeastern part near Veneto. Oh, okay, so and the you guy in. Uh, do kind of a heritage uh, trip that you see, you saw where the com- uh, company, uh, sorry, the par- uh, family is from? Yes, uh, we have been back there and it's a small group uh, of people named Festival because uh, in North America there's only my brother and I with the surname Festival and it's a small group of people within that northern part of Italy because uh, the, as the story goes, my grandfather was uh, an illegitimate child left on the steps of a nunnery and the nuns found him on a holiday and named him Festival. And so that that is the history of our name, going back to our grandfather. That's interesting, especially that the Italians like festivals, drinking Correct. and uh, eating is part of their life. Correct, yes. <laughs> um, so uh, you came here to, oh, sorry, you came to the University of Saskatoon because you were recruited as a, as a ball player. How did you decide about uh, chemistry? Was well, it a passion of yours? Was it someone that I was very you? interested in chemistry. And so I'm in high school, very interested in chemistry and the sciences. And I thought, I like, I like the sciences, but the best way to get a job is to take engineering, which encompasses the sciences. So getting just a science degree wasn't enough. I wanted to be fully employable. And so I took chemical engineering. Uh, and you never looked back. That's correct. Um, in your family, um, parents, siblings, uh, anyone else is an entrepreneur or you represent the rep- entrepreneurship in the family? I think I, I got the entrepreneur gene in, uh, in our family. What, what are the rest of the family doing or did? 
a parents and a brother. There's uh, my brother's out here in Western Canada. He was an uh, information technology professional, and my sisters are retired back in Ontario. So. Oh, so most of the family is still in Ontario. Yes, the family still in Ontario. I see, and uh, you have from time to time like an Italian get together festival. That's right. <laughs> I see, uh, and um, you know if I. You said you, you knew your role on the team, you were hardworking. If I kind of connect, uh, we connect uh, one of your teachers or teammates or schoolmates, how the well they describe you as a person? Uh, I think they would describe me as somebody that uh, uh, makes things work, gets along, you know, tries to seize the common goal and uh, tries to get everyone working towards that common goal. And so that's, I often played that role uh, on the teams or on the groups uh, that I was involved in. So I think that's important. Um, other than basketball and going to school, or did, did you do anything else, extracurriculum, like work after hours or just basketball and, and study? That's all it was really. I was a very one-dimensional person and I still actually am a very, very one-dimensional person. And my priorities are really just work, my sports and my family. And uh, and through that, I think I, I giving back to the all those things, you know, giving back to the the sports community, giving back to the business community, and giving back to my family. Do you still play ball? I don't. <laughs> How I come? Still, I compete at other sports now. I went on. I really had the really had the uh, the compa- the competitive bug, and so I became a road runner afterwards. I became a squash player, and now I'm a competitive golfer. Oh, okay. So what's your handicap? Uh, it's about uh, two. It doesn't mean anything to me because I don't play golf, but I know that's a question I should ask. <laughs> um, so you you kind of graduate uh, UFS, University of Saskatoon, with a degree in chemical engineering, and then and then what? Then what do you do? What's the first step you, you do as, as as graduate of university? Well, the first thing you do is hopefully the business community is in a robust period because you try to get a job. Uh, during the 80s, it was very difficult in the oil patch because uh, we had various government programs, we had price volatility, and it was very difficult to get a job. And so my first order of business was just finding a job, and I, and my first job was uh, about a block from here at Home Oil. So um, what year was it that you graduated? 1984. 84, that's after the National uh, Energy Pro. Program, whatever. National Energy Program, yes, yeah. years after that. So um, you, you kind of go to your job, your first job at Home Oil, and in what capacity? What did you do? I was a field engineer. So they uh, they gave me the keys to a truck. Yeah. They pointed to a place on the map and said, uh, go there, and we're drilling a well, and go learn how, it's, uh, how, it, how it works. And so I went out there not, not ever seeing an oil well before, and I, I tried to learn as best I could about the, the oil business. So let, let's uh, kind of get a little bit of that feeling. You are 20 some years old. Yes. You get a new, tr- uh, maybe not a new truck, but a truck. It Was it your first car? <laughs> yes. And you had to drive north how many hours? Uh, this case was only about an hour and a half, but I had to navigate because uh, these oil wells are not drilled beside the, beside the highway. So I had to navigate on some back roads and find out where it was. So you get there, what do you see? Where do you leave? How do you deal with this drilling process? Well, the first thing I had to do was find my contact. And then he says to me, well, why'd you show up on my lease wearing shorts? 
You know, you need to wear safety clothes. You have to have work boots. You have to have work pants and so forth. So I, I showed up there totally unprepared, not knowing what to expect and uh, looking like a tourist. And so <laughs> that was my first, uh, you know, shock. And uh, really what, I, what, we, what my supervisor tried to do was prevent me from getting hurt. Right. Because it's a very dangerous place when you first get onto a, a work site. And so I didn't know what the dangers were. I didn't know how to react. And so I really didn't know anything about it. And so I just, every day, was just trying to learn and try to stay safe and, and absorb what was going on. So what we know about oil and gas is when we drive our car to the pump and we fill up, uh, that's what we see and that's what we know. What are the conditions that people live in or work in in, in those uh, drilling areas, drilling wells? Yes, uh, it, is a, it is a tough business because when you drill a well, you don't stop for you know, you don't stop uh, for the night shift or you don't stop, you, you drill 24 hours a day. And so some of these wells will drill for, you know, 10 or 20 days and uh, it's uh, 12 hour shifts. And so you're working continuously day and night. And so it's, uh, whether no matter what the weather is, it's rare that you shut down a drilling rig. You'll drill in all kinds of weather, temperature, wind. And uh, so it's, it, it is uh, tough conditions. But it's an industry that's been doing this for a long time. It's well conditioned to operate in these uh, in these in these harsh environments. Also in the eighties. Also in the eighties. Yeah. I see. <laughs> um, so you go there. You're at home oil. You drive an hour and a half. You get to a place. You are completely unprepared, and that's you decide. You know, it's not for me. I'm moving to Koch in uh, energy. <laughs> it's interesting, David. I, I, I there's. I can describe three types of people that have worked in the oil industry, and maybe all industries, but. I've had friends that have started with a company and have worked for the same company for 30 years. And some of them just, those companies get taken over, but they just never make a change. They're just happy to go there and they'll stay with that same company. The other extreme is some people go there and after a few months say, I don't like this or I can do better or I'm restless. And they make a change. For me, it took about six years where I said, I see what the company's doing. I want to do something different. I want to do something better. So I, so I was in the middle, mm-hmm. and I, and I made some changes. Uh, I joined another company after I left Home Oil for about a year and a half, and I looked around and said, "Boy, this is even worse. This is not what I want to do." <laughs> and I found uh, I found Coke, and I found them to be a, a really good business, very business oriented, and uh, learned a lot from there. And that really is uh, takes me. Uh, that's back in 1991. That takes me. To the present day because the people I met there in 91, 92 are still my same partners to this day. So uh, you kind of uh, went through the ranks to a senior VP of what? Because I, I guess there are different divisions. This was uh, uh, senior vice president of the oil and gas division. Mm-hmm. So this was not of just of engineering or of geology. This was a senior vice president. It was a top management position that they had in the company in Canada. Because really, we're owned by a U.S. company. Right. So we were a, uh, uh, a division of a U.S. company. And so I was the top management person in that uh, in the division. I see. Um, so, John, we have to take our first commercial break. Um, to our listeners, make sure to open a new tab and check Black Pearl Resources website, uh, www blackpearlresources.ca you can check their operation page where you can learn about their core properties we'll meet you here on the other side of the commercials
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with our guest, John Festival, President and CEO, uh, Black Pearl Resources, at our uh, show, Taking Care of Business. So, John, before we kind of uh, had to uh, step out for the commercial, you mentioned that uh, you worked with uh, Coke uh, Energy and uh, the team or the people that uh, work with you or you met there are still your partners today. But before that, when was that decision uh, to become an entrepreneur and start your own company? What was the process that led to it? I think even if I go right back to when I was a kid, uh, the seeds of being an entrepreneur were, were there. Uh, when I was in high school, I went and made a major move within the you know the city. I went and changed schools because I wanted a better education. I found the school that I was at wasn't sufficient for what I wanted to do. I wanted to take engineering. And also, the basketball training wasn't that good. And so now you're going to say, well, how does that have to do with entrepreneurship? Well. The seeds of entrepreneurship are really a dissatisfaction with the status quo. It's a dissatisfaction with where you're sitting, what you're doing. And so throughout my you know, career, whether it's in sports or in school or in business, I've always looked around and said, you know, can I do better? Mm-hmm. And so we were doing great things at Coke. 
we had uh, great business training. We had uh, were supported financially to do all the things that we wanted to do, and so it was a great team of people. We had you know great support, but what happened was when the price dropped in '98, uh, they didn't need all the people that they had, and so I was let go. I was fired along with a few other people, and I looked at that and said, well, low prices is an opportunity. You know, this is uh, not just, you don't just fire people when, when you have bad prices. You look around and say, can I do more? Because other people are reacting that way. And so we looked at it, at it as an opportunity. And so I got some of my, my colleagues at Coke and we said, let's go do something with this. Let's take advantage of all the information we have, all the knowledge we have, the training, and let's go take advantage of this and start our own company. And that's what we did. So basically it was an event that kind of, pushed you guys to make that decision to become entrepreneurs. Uh, if, if oil would stay at 24, what was it at that time, 24, 25 a barrel? Yes. You wouldn't have made that change? In hindsight, I know it's, it's you know. I think I would have made the change eventually because <clears throat> we already were thinking about going out on our own. So David, you remember I told you about some people are happy to stay in the yeah. same situation forever. Some people react very quickly. For me, it took a nudge. It took took a bit of time. It took a nudge, and the nudge was well. The nudge was getting fired, so that's <laughs> that's enough of a nudge. I see. And and you know, and you mentioned that you guys uh, were a partnership. You didn't go on your own, and, and just you had a few. Were was everybody fired, or some people were still there, and you guys convinced them to move with you? I was fired. I convinced my colleagues to come and join me but they also were dissatisfied they also even though they didn't have the the nudge like i had mm -hmm. they still wanted to make a change they believed that we could do better on our own uh so you had to choose your number your partners you made choices or the selection how, how, how did you select them was it friendship was it what value they can bring was it that they have enough money in their pocket to put together a company what went through your mind becoming? Because it's a big change. It is. It is. You worked since university in 84, you said? Yes. To 98, you worked for a salary. You knew that you have a salary then uh, twice a month or at the end of the month. And now you're going and jumping into a you know, new, uh, new, new pool. So how did you choose partners? How did you convince them? I had worked with these people and it was not because they were my friends. It was not because they had money. It was because they had the qualities that I could rely on. So if you had to ask somebody, you know, of all the people you're working with, who would you mortgage your house and bet on and uh, want to be in business with? So it has, nothing, it has to do with all capability. And so I, we found the people that we were the most capable and we, we self-selected. Mm -hmm. We knew who we were. Uh, we were the most dedicated, the most passionate, and we loved what we did. And so we really knew who we were and we self-selected. And became uh, became our you know formed a company. So the partners that were there in '98 to start uh, BlackRock, uh, are they all still your partners, or some had to be bought out or left or? After we after we achieved some success, some of them, two of them, wanted to do other things, so they left to go and do something else. And the junior partners that we had brought on, so. We not only recruited uh, some of the original partners out of Coke, I think the original group of us was maybe 10. So we had some field operators, we had some, uh, some junior technical staff, and so we recruited a whole bunch of people out of, the, out of Coke over time, and some of the original partners have left. Mm -hmm. And now, 
we brought up some of the junior employers to be to the partner level. I see. Um, so when you work, you you mentioned you just mentioned that you, if you remember right, you were about ten people to yes. start. Um, decision making in a partnership should, can be challenging. Yes. What, what, what was the process? How did you guys decide on strategic, uh, you know, or operational decisions when you have 10 people in the room that have to vote? At that time, we had it down to a four-person decision committee. So there was four of us that made the decisions. Uh, my role was president. So when I talked before about roles and I talked about everyone has to find their role, my role was president. The other three were vice presidents. But my vote was no more important than theirs. We had four votes, and we we looked for uh, we, we we only made decisions that all of us agreed to, and that was very important. So anybody, if they felt strongly enough, could veto veto a decision, could say no. Sometimes we all weren't happy with what we you know completely happy with the decision, but we all had to agree, and that was always important. We all had to agree on what we were doing. So never you never go to a tiebreaker. We never got to a tiebreaker. We always made enough concessions that we were agreed with the process. And another thing about our partnership was, we all were guaranteed. We all said we we're going to take the same salary, exactly the same salary, exactly the same bonus, because we said we are a partnership. Mm-hmm. Even though my title said president, I was no more important than them. So we see. didn't want to have any disputes around uh, compensation. So now that I know a few of your partners, I can tell them that you're not more important than them. <laughs> well, they know I'm not more important than them. I see. Um, so can you describe, you know, our, our program is about entrepreneurship and, yes. and about encouraging people to make that step. But can you describe some of the difficult steps or step or steps that you had to start when, when you started in 98 or 99? Yes. It was difficult because I had a family at the time. And so it's, it's easier if you're not married or don't have any uh, responsibilities because if you, if you do fail or if you, things don't work out, uh, it's easy to start over or it's easy to, you know, because you don't have those responsibilities. But I had two young kids and so I had a wife that was not working. And so I felt a real responsibility towards financially towards my family. And so that was difficult. And so that was, it was stressful at the time. I just want to make something clear. We in our show, we don't support that phrase, my wife was not working when she raises oh, her yes. kids. Yes. <laughs> that is. Because <laughs> my wife was a stay-at-home mom as well, but she worked with three kids, so uh, we'll take it back. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I, I see. Uh, any other athletes on your team, on that 10? People that understand team structure, people that understand how to work as a team, because you said you come from a team environment in a basketball. Yes, interestingly enough, no, there weren't. The other, my other three partners, uh, in in Black Rock, were not. None of them were athletes, and uh, same with my three partners in Black Pearl. None of them are athletes, but they deep down understood the value of teamwork. Uh, they, they were honest team players, and that's that's a real big difference. That's another thing that, that I really valued in my partners was not only were they capable, but they were honest. And, and that is so, so important because the worst thing that you can have and the, the thing that can destroy a business is having a smart, dishonest partner. Yeah. Because uh, a stupid, dishonest partner, he'll get found out, but a very smart, dishonest partner... You know, they can ruin your business. Um, 
You know, we, we hear a lot about the oil and gas industry, and uh, we know it's a very expensive industry. Um, so you start your own company, and the price of oil in 98, 99, if I remember right, that's when we immigrated here, was about 10, 11 bucks a barrel. That's right. Uh, which if you mention it today, people will probably cut their wrists. <laughs> uh, but one of the things you have to do is raise money, raise funds. And you are a new company in a market that is not very favorable. How did you guys raise money to start doing actual exploration and, and drilling? We went to the money centers. We went to Toronto and New York. And we got a very chilly reception in New York. Uh, just because they didn't feel that the business we're in and our business plan would work. And we tried to tell them that, you know, price of oil is one thing, but you got you, you have to you have to be good at what you do. So we can find oil, we can be successful in all kinds of price environments, but they just re, they weren't receptive to that. We found some receptive people in Toronto. And one of the receptive people was Seymour Shulik. And he's a philanthropic billionaire in Toronto. And he does, you know, he's been a great investor. And so he believed in us. He said, you know, I, I believe in what you're doing. I believe in the, the, the business plan that you have. And uh, he stuck with us for those seven years and he was on the board. And so we, we, we talked to enough people uh, until our story resonated with somebody. They had a point of view that was similar to ours. Mm -hmm. And um, did you guys have to also kind of contribute financially? Or you yes. guys uh, kept you know, out of the financial environment. No, there's no way that you're going to go and ask somebody else. You can't sit across the table from somebody and say, you put your money in, but I'm not <laughs> going to. So we made substantial contributions. And for us at the time, we didn't have a lot of money. Right. So we were just salaried employees at the time. And uh, I put in everything I had. So I put all the money I had into the company and so did my other partners. And uh, it turned out to be a great investment, but at the time it was very difficult. Did your wife know? Yes, she did. I'm surprised she actually <laughs> let me do that. So, yes, I she believed in me. She believed that we would uh, do okay. Uh, that's awesome. Um, so you were uh, four partners uh, at the table making decisions. Um, how did you kind of uh, keep in each other accountable? Because each one had a different role, I guess. Yes. It's not just president or one where one is, and I don't know your industry, one is probably exploration, one is... Operations, operations, and accounting. So, how did you guys hold each other accountable? Because the first two years or three years are the crucial years. Very difficult, yes, for every business. So, every decision we made, somebody would have some expertise in that. If it was accounting, we had an accounting specialist, or if it was exploration, we had. But you couldn't just say because I'm the expert, you have to do what I say. We had to present our idea and justify it, and make sure everyone else agreed. And we had to present it in a respectful uh, manner such that we let everyone else know why we're making that decision. And so everyone else had to agree, even though we were the expert. So it was incumbent upon us to get our partners to buy in. And that was part of it. And so that's, that's an important aspect of, because we all have expertise. Right. But for us to go, to be so arrogant as to tell other people, I'm the expert, this is what we're gonna do, that's not, that's not fair. And we, we had a very respectful relationship. In that, in that in that manner. You, you mentioned in uh, your previous answer when you traveled to Toronto and New York that you guys have presented a business plan and you had a business plan. Did you, when you started uh, uh, 
Black uh, Rock. Do you guys also have a mission, vision, purpose, or just a business plan and you started playing by the business plan? We had business principles that we operated by. And, and the funny thing is, David, we didn't actually write them down. I see some businesses have their mission and their vision and it's, it's well communicated, it's, they've thought about it. For us, our business principles were ingrained in how we did business. And the most important thing was how we looked, how we how we approached the business, and in terms of competitive advantage, and that was the most important thing. Uh, the, the training we got at Coke was very important. The economic training was the foundation of our business plan. Things like competitive advantage and marginal utility, and, and understanding how we applied those business principles to our own oil and gas business was the most important, and that was a core of what we're all about. And uh, was the, did you? go immediately to the public market as the new company, as Black? Yes, we, uh, it was a public company. We, we took over a shell, actually. There was a shell of a, a company on the Toronto Stock Exchange. We convinced the current board that uh, we were the best, uh, the best suited to take this over. And so we convinced them and we were public from, the, from right from the... So why public and not private? We would have preferred to be private, but we found no opportunities to be private. No one would give us money to be a private company. And so that was the only opportunity we had. So we took that and said, we'll make this work. Even though our preference was to be private. We uh, work with a private public company. I see. Uh, so we reached our second commercial break. Time flies. Um, when you open your new tab, check out our guest company website again. Uh, we can, you can find financial and management information, uh, a lot of it, and I'll talk about it with you later after the uh, break. And we'll be back uh, with you following the commercial break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. 
To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back uh, for the home stretch of today's Taking Care of Business with our guest, John Festival, President and CEO of Black Pearl Resources, Inc. So, John, um, I want to kind of push forward a little bit in, in time. Um, you're a publico. Uh, you have seven years that the market is, or, and your work is working toward, you know, in your favor, and you decide to sell, or it was someone that initiated, like a third party initiated, coming to you say, you know what? We want to buy you. Who initiated the, the, the acquisition disposition? It was a it was a combination of events. It was uh, we looked around at the at our assets, and we said this is probably a good time in the life of these these projects that we have these assets. We looked at the people around the table and said a couple of them said, "I am probably ready to move on," and in the life of the business. So everything has a a life to it, a, a natural rhythm to it. And so our major investor said, well, if the assets are ready and the people are ready, let's start this process. And so at the same time as we're going to start trying to sell the company, we had an inbound call. So somebody was interested in the company, that was Shell. And so just coincidentally, because we had such a hot market, they were eager to buy more assets. And so it just worked out. The timing was perfect for us. And, and was it a unanimous decision or were there a little bit or some people around the management table that said, you know, maybe we shouldn't sell. The market's doing so well. We're making so much money. I think um, once we realized, once we talked about it, uh, I think the consensus was that we should sell. And uh, it was uh, looking back. We, uh, we should have been more eager than we were because it was such a good time. Because sometimes you don't realize that when you're in a bull market, when you're in a great market, until you look back afterwards. Right. Um, so you sell. Yes. And um, why come back? Uh, we love what we do. You know, we, as soon as we, and the funny thing was, while we were in the process of selling, the six-week process of wrapping up and selling and doing all that, we're all coming up with new business plans. So <laughs> we weren't thinking about the next vacation. We weren't thinking about you know how we're going to spend some money. We were thinking about, well, let's come up with a new business plan. What are we, what are we going to do next? So it was in our blood. It was what we like to do. So you, you sell to uh, Black Rock to Shell. Yes. And uh, how long after the, uh, the ink was dry did you start Black Core? Uh, we started that... Uh, about a year later. So you took a year off? No, we're still working on things. We just we worked on various different business plans and worked on a number of things. But I'm glad we didn't jump into anything too quickly because we had to be smart about what we did. And we had a couple of false starts and some things didn't work out. So we finally found you know, Black Core to be the, the right combination. And uh, we did it about a year later. I see. So that's 2008? More or less? 2007, 2008. And then you do a reverse takeover over Pearl Resources. And what was that all about? Well, we saw this, we saw the, during the financial crisis, 2007, 2008, and part of 2009, a lot of companies had done poorly. And so we saw, again, this is an opportunity, just like in 1998. 
whenever there's turbulence, whenever there's difficulty, low prices, the market's in a shambles, that's when there, there, can, there can be opportunity. So we said, we saw this company, Pearl, struggling, and we saw their projects, and we saw the people, we got to know some of the people, and we said, we approached the board of directors, and we said to them, with our track record, we can, we can make you money, we can do much better. And they agreed with our business plan, they agreed with what we wanted to do, and they let BlackCore, a small $10 million company, take over a $200 million company. I see. Um, and um, when you took over, you, BlackCore was already public or Black, no, it was, was private? private, yes. So you said earlier that you would prefer the private, but again, you're going into the public arena. Correct, So yes. is there a difference between 99 and today in the public arena, or for no. you it's the same game? We always would still prefer to be private. But we couldn't ignore the opportunity. Uh, we saw the opportunity with originally with BlackRock, and then then we saw the original the opportunity again with Pearl. So we said, it's too good an opportunity. Even though our business structure, even though the way we do business is better suited to private, the opportunity is in this public company. And the opportunity, when you talk about the opportunity, are you talking about the opportunity to raise money? Or what is the opportunity that uh, people should use the public arena versus the private kind of arena? It's, it's really the, the ability to raise money. So that's, that's one of the advantages. You can raise lots of money at a, at a very good price during certain times. But if I were to advise people now, I would say stay private if you can. Always, you know, private is the best way to go because you can have your shareholders are more committed. They're aligned with you. The opportunity in our first company was there we had no other way we had no track record we have no we had no ability mm-hmm. to get money from the par- private side the second time we did it was we had the money we had the ability to get money from the private sector but the pearl has such good assets that we couldn't go and buy them at that cheaper price so for us it was the price of the assets that we could get within the company i see um you know, uh, there's a question that I want to kind of uh, fo- focus a little bit. Um, the last two years were very tough in, in your industry. And uh, basically, I would say the oil and gas was almost an island suffering in the last two years. From 100 bucks two years ago, and I remember October October of 2014, we had a real estate forum here in Calgary, and everybody said, invest in Calgary, oil is going to stay strong. And then by December, we started, you know, the decline. How did you guys survive the last two years when oil went from 100 to 26, I think, was the lowest? Lowest, yes. And then it stayed in 20, like high 20s, low 30s for a long period of time. People were fired right, left, and center here. Uh, we have an office vacancy that is in 27%. How did you guys manage to survive? First of all, going into the downturn, going into the low prices, we were conservative. We didn't have a lot of debt, so we had a very lean structure. So we didn't have to fire a lot of people. We didn't have to fire anybody. We just all reduced our salaries, reduced our work week. We um, cut back on, on our activities you know, very quickly and stopped spending money. And we didn't have debt to begin with. So we had a conservative nature, so we were able to withstand it. During boom times, when things are good, people get 
they just get crazy. They believe that the prices will last forever. They believe that you know prices will keep on going up, and they just have an unrealistic view of the world. So we're conservative by nature, and so we're, we're we were ready for the downturn. All partners are conservative by nature. No, <laughs> and if you have if you have four partners or or, or your partners or all have the same characteristics, you'll never do anything. Yeah, you really want to find people with, with diverse personalities because. Our accountant is the most conservative. He keeps us out of trouble. But we have other people in the company that are entrepreneurial. They want to do things. So you need that mixture. And because of that, you don't always get along. You need diverse personalities. So if you pick a partner that's the same as you, you pick the wrong partner. You want to pick somebody that challenges you, that is a different personality than you. And you're going to have problems. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have disagreements. But make sure you have consensus when you go ahead with your project but respect and appreciate the diff- differing personalities mm-hmm. when you're in a small company. The other uh, issue I wanted to uh, kind of ask you about is, um, I, I called it like, the two storms that you guys have to deal with. One was the price, uh, and the other storm is, uh, the oil and gas industry got a lot of bad, bad publicity in the last few years. It's very common today for every celebrity to say, to drive uh, a Jag or another, car that uh, spends a lot of uh, fuel, but to say that the oil and gas industry is polluting the world. How do you deal with all this bad uh, publicity that you guys get as an industry? We're not going to fight that battle in the press. We're not going to point out the hypocrisy. We're not going to try to argue with the government because right now they're just following the populist movement towards low carbon and all of that. Our way of battling all adversity is by winning. So, I mean, you're involved in sports and you have a bad ref. You have a, a, a gym where they, uh, that favors the opposition. What do you do? Do you sit down and complain about it? No, you win. So our solution to that is just win. So be low cost, be uh, effective, find oil better than somebody else. So our solution to all that adversity is, is just win. By the way, that was not a good example because when I was a GM, the league expelled me for a month because I told the ref what I think about him during the game. <laughs> so it depends. Who you but you learned from that. You wouldn't do that today, would you, David? Oh, yeah, I will do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I like the ref uh, to know what I think about him. Um, how do you guys uh, kind of uh, work with the community? Yes, that's important to us too. The community is where we operate. We like to employ local people. We like to, uh, and we give back in some of those communities. We've made donations uh, to the different, uh, the different towns and, and places we operate in. Because if you look at it from their standpoint, we're we're in their backyard. We're disturbing, you know, their peace. And so we look upon it as uh, as an opportunity to both employ some of the people, bring some uh, some revenue into the community. And we say this is our way of giving back. This is our way of, you know, showing you that we're we're good guys. And uh, because you are putting up with us, you are having to deal with uh, all that in- industrial activity. So it's only financial donation, or you guys have some other activities that some of the employees are involved in? We allow the employees themselves to pick whatever charity they want to get involved in, and we'll match that. Mm-hmm. So it's not me deciding here in my Calgary office what's best to happen out in the field or what's best to happen we allow our employees to make those decisions and a lot of it is financial a lot of it is because that's Mm -hmm. the way we can communicate with them we can work with them but it's also relationships we build relationships with these people we work with them every day 
we're in their backyard, and that's important. That's important to build those relationships and so they can understand that, you know, we're trying to help the prosperity of, of their region and their area. Um, you, you mentioned earlier when I asked you about um, business plan, mission, and vision that you guys have it like almost you think about it and you know what you think about it and you know your business kind of values uh, internally. But how do you spread it among employees? Because it's not just the four or ten of you. It's You have a big company today. We have a big company, but it's not so big. Uh, sometimes I disagree with companies that will put their uh, their mission statement on the wall and what their vision is and their core principles. Uh, we have done some of that, but we, we try to live it every day. And we try to say, this is how we do business. And if you can't see that in how I treat you, an important part of our business is treating people with respect. And so if you don't see that in how I treat you, and all I do is have a little placard on the wall that says treat employees with respect, that, does, that doesn't work. So we try to live our principles. Mm-hmm. And we try to, uh, as opposed to just write them down and hand them out. So if I go today and visit your office, uh, your new office that you yes. moved a few months ago, um, and I'll talk with the employees, not part of uh, you know a roundtable executive, will they share the same kind of answer that you just shared me, that they know what the principles, they know how the core, the core business values are internal? You think that that message is clear to everybody at your company? Almost, I, let's say. More. I think 80%, yes. And I'm not going to be so arrogant as to say that every employee is on board, but I believe 80% is are on board, understand how we operate, what 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 are, what are we try to do, because I we I talk with them all the time. Um, where do you see Black Pearl in the next three to five years? Uh, we're going to keep on growing the business, keep on advancing the company, until at some point somebody says, it's valuable. It's much more valuable to me. Just like we'll get a, probably get a knock on the door, like Shell knocked on our door. Same thing. And somebody will say that they, they want to they want uh, our assets because we're building a company that we believe has some world class potential. And so it will get recognized one day, and somebody will knock on the door and uh, want to pay us for that. And then you'll start again. And you'll start again. No rest. Uh, work is rest <laughs> when you enjoy it. Um, so, as we discussed earlier, and, as, uh, and when we prepared for the show, I, I told you that uh, the show is more about, it's about encouraging other people to become entrepreneurs, encouraging entrepreneurs and going through tough times. So, let's kind of, we have about four or five minutes to the end of the show, and I want to ask you a few general questions and uh, from your experience. So... Any regrets or mistakes you made or you guys made, not just you personally, along the way that you will recommend today if you had to mentor a person that wants to get into business, whether it's oil and gas or any other industry, someone who wants to become an entrepreneur, any mistakes or regrets you guys made that you will recommend? Don't do this, one, two, three. One thing is uh, the mistake we made after BlackRock was we didn't understand quite the difference between being good and being lucky. So we made tremendous returns at BlackRock. It was a, uh, you know, our original investment was at 60 cents. We finally sold at $24. Tremendous return. But what people don't realize is two-thirds of that was luck. Two-thirds of that was the market. One-third of that was because we were smart, competent, had a good business plan. But a mistake that people make is they confuse luck with 
uh, you know, good business. And so if you look at the dot-com that happened in, in 2000, you look at certain events, you have to really understand, because what we did afterwards was we made some foolish decisions because we thought we're invincible. We thought everything we touched would be good. So you have to really differentiate between being good and being lucky and understanding that. And some people uh, get, you know, get arrogant and get and, and believe that because uh, the market sometimes, you know, our current our current company right now is trading at about a dollar ten a share, dollar five a share. If we had the same market conditions as when we sold BlackRock, we'd be at six or seven dollars a share. You know, the same the same company, same right. finances, same potential, and yet. That's a, that's what a good market can do. So that's a really important aspect. I see. Um, and, and what are the good steps you made that you will recommend to a new entrepreneur? Say, you know, if you do one, two, three, you'll be will make less mistakes, and your road to success will be faster. Shut up and listen. Talk to people. <laughs> And, and, and truly, truly listen to people because everyone has something to say. When we go to the field, when we talk to employees, we talk to our suppliers, we all want to talk and tell people how great we are, but just shut up and listen and, and really probe, ask probing questions and understand the business and, and talk to people and try to get uh, their perspective because you can learn from everybody. You can learn in every situation and be respectful of your partners. Be respectful of the people you're working with and they will stay with you a long time. We've had people with us you know, they've been with us 20 years and they're because we treated them with respect, we treated them fairly, we treated them honestly. And those relationships will last uh, many, many years and you'll get more satisfaction from those relationships than you will from having money. Um, so you mentioned your partners and, and so during this journey, what did you learn about your partners and yourself? It's a long journey, what you described. It is. Uh, I, I, learned, uh, I learned my own weaknesses. I learned some of my strengths. And I learned the strengths and weaknesses of my partners. And that's very important because I have to work with them. And so that was very important going forward. So I know what my strengths are. I try to, I try to not let them ha- harm the business. And same with the strengths and weaknesses of my partners. I try to make sure that I enhance their strengths and don't let the weaknesses, you know, causes, causes problems. So you guys, when you meet for the executive meeting, you go, you complete me? You say to each other, you complete me? Not quite, but <laughs> in the back of our mind, we know that uh, we have that respect for each other that, yes, that is the case. I see. Uh, John, last question. If you had, if I gave you a chance to meet one person, dead or alive, who would you choose? I think, I think I would want to go back and meet with Charles Koch. Charles Koch is in his 80s now. And the reason is because I know something about him. I work with him. I worked, been a part of it. Because to meet somebody for the very first time, you don't have that relationship. And a mentorship process is not just a five-minute conversation or a lunchtime. It's a lifetime. It's a long time. So I've already had some experience with him. I'd like to continue that journey with him. Uh, so we reached the end of today's episode of Taking Care of Business. Uh, John, thank you so much for uh, being our guest. Uh, we had John Festival, President and CEO of Black Pearl Resources, Inc., sharing with us his personal story, experience, and success as an entrepreneur and leading his management team. Next week, we'll be visiting and follow up with our previous guests, David and Cole from Rosso Coffee Roasters, as well as Rihanna and Matt from The Sweat Lab. Uh, we'll check what progress they made since they were uh, hosted on our shows. A big thank you to our listeners. We have now listeners from 47 countries around the globe. 
as usual, thank you for to Aaron, our engineer, and Cassandra, our production PR manager. Uh, I would like to hear back from you. Please email me at dvwallock at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. We'll meet you here next Tuesday, November 7th, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.